Morning, Northwest. Go ahead and have a seat. This is your first time. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at the church as well. Um, I really loved Christine's testimony. Wasn't that great? How many other people? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, how many other people do Bible recap? Anybody else? See a number of hands. Yeah, I've, I've talked to a few couples that even say that's something they do together, um, that they'll They'll do the readings and then listen to the podcast and discuss it together. One of my favorite things, I think one of the coolest things about growing in God's word is that we not only get closer to God, we get closer to each other, right? And so I love how Christine was talking about that she, she didn't just do this by herself, that she's been able to talk about it with her friend, with, with Jen. And um, so, yeah, reading the Bible gets us closer to God. It gets our eyes off of ourselves, gets our eyes onto God where they need to be, and also helps us get closer to each other, too. Um, well, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to be today. Matthew 5, 33. I want to kind of get a running start at this one this morning because as we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, and this week we come to Matthew 5, 33 through 37. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, as we continue to talk about what a life looks like when we put it under the authority, under the rule of, of Jesus. What does a life look like when Jesus is on the throne of our life? And Jesus is unpacking what that looks like, what, what sex looks like, what conflict looks like, what money looks like. And this week, we're going to be looking at something that's very important. And it's a very important aspect of living a life under Jesus' reign and his kingdom. But it's one of those things, talking about vows and oaths, that we don't really think about that much. Um, but what I want to say at the beginning is that what this is really all about, you might think, I don't make vows, I don't do oaths, so does this really apply to me? Really what Jesus is about here in this passage is he's talking about being a trustworthy person. He's talking about the fact that disciples of Jesus need to be trustworthy. Okay, I was reading an article just the, other, just the other day this past week, and in the article there was this quote, which was, I thought was kind of shocking, but also I, I resonated with too. It said, distrust is a cancer, talking about American society. It said, distrust is a cancer, that has spread to every vital organ within society. Distrust is a cancer that has spread to every vital organ within society. Think about you. What are some situations where you find it hard to trust people around you? Um, I bought a house. My wife and I, Lindsay, we bought a house uh, about three, four months ago. And one of the things that I was not expecting was that when we, as we were closing, and really all throughout the whole process, there are just so many scams. I felt like the main thing my realtor and like my mortgage broker did was like warn me about all the scams that were gonna come. Like you're gonna get this email and they're gonna say to give them this information, but don't do it, it's a scam. And you know, it, when we closed, it was like, okay, um, you know, you're gonna get this letter in the mail saying you need to pay 50 bucks or something to get a copy of your title, but you know, it's a scam, you can get that for free. And there are all these different things that it was like, watch out for this, watch out for this, watch out for this. And it was just kind of one of those sobering reminders 
years that we can't trust a lot of people around us or we have a hard time trusting people around us because there's a lot of people that are trying to take advantage of us, right? What about you? When do you have trouble trusting people? You know, if you would say that you find it pretty difficult to trust people sometimes, you're not alone. There was a study that was done that I was looking at this past week in 2014. And what the study did is it, it gave people the, the phrase, most people are trustworthy. Most people are trustworthy and said, respond, agree or disagree. Okay, and they did this survey all over the world and some of the Nordic countries, um, the, the response rate, the, the agreement rate was up around 70, 75%, so, so really high. And different Asian countries um, that I saw, it was around in the 60s. In Oceania, it was around the 50s. In America, there were only 30% of people who agreed with the statement, I believe most people around me are trustworthy. There was another study that I was looking at that was a study they've done over a number of years that every year they just ask the question, or they give you the statement and say, do you agree with it or not? And the statement was, I trust the government to do the right thing most of the time. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, this year they just stopped asking the question. They figured it just wasn't worth it, so I'm just kidding. Um, but believe it or not, there used to be a time when people trusted the government. Uh, in 1964, 77% of people agreed with the statement, I trust the government to do the right thing most of the time. In 2019, that number was 17%. Among Generation Z, it was 10%. Okay, so we have a hard time trusting each other. Well, I have this little diagram up on the, uh, up on the screen there. You know, where does distrust come from? Distrust comes because of honesty or, or because of dishonesty, right? If we think somebody's being dishonest to us, it's hard for us to trust them, right? Well, where does dishonesty come from? Well, at the root of dishonesty, at the root of dishonesty is really fear. At the root of dishonesty is fear, and the fruit or the result of that fear is that we lie to each other that we spend, that we cover up the truth, and that's why there's so much distrust in the world. So for example, we might be afraid that we're, we're not enough. I'm not good enough. And that leads us, and because we're afraid we're not good enough, that leads us to hide the truth, to embellish, to try to project an image instead of trying to allow people to really get to know us. Maybe sometimes we'll worry, we'll be afraid, what if I don't have enough? We're worried that we won't have enough money. And that fear leads us to, to cheat or to steal or to be dishonest with our taxes. Maybe we're afraid that if we say no to somebody, they'll get mad at us. And so we overpromise and we underdeliver, and then we become known as that person that, yeah, they'll, they'll agree to help you, but don't count on them. We might be afraid that people are gonna be disgusted. If, like if anybody saw, maybe we're afraid, if anybody really saw me as I actually am, 
if anybody knew the failures I've made, the sins that I've committed, they'd be disgusted with me. And so instead of taking responsibility for what we've done, we spin the truth. We lie when we make excuses, which is why when we hear politicians say, well, hey, I know this is a, whether it's on the right or the left, hey, I know this is a big problem, I know there's this big issue, but trust me, it's not my fault. And don't worry, I have a perfect solution that's gonna fix it. We think, I hope so, but maybe they just wanna get reelected. Right, so the cause of distrust is dishonesty, the root of dishonesty is fear. So today, we're gonna talk about two things from Matthew 5.33. Number one, we're gonna look at how the kingdom of heaven, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, how it cures our fears. It cures the fears that are at the root of our dishonesty. And second of all, it empowers us in the kingdom of heaven, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven empowers us to be people who are actually trustworthy. Okay, turn me to Matthew 5.33 if you're not there already. I'll go ahead and read it. Matthew 5.33 through 37. Here's what it says, and you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Okay, so I said that this is all about trust, right? Well, what's the deal with, with oaths and, and trust? Well, first of all, the reason that oaths were a common practice back then in Jesus' time is because just like today, just like today in 2022 in America, the people in Jesus' time had a lot of trouble trusting each other. There are a lot of situations where they were worried people weren't shooting straight with them. They were worried people weren't being, being honest and straightforward with them or, or acting in good faith with them. And so, for example, and especially in like an agrarian society, like where, where Jesus was living, uh, that would be pretty common. For example, let's say that I was a, a landowner and I was gonna hire somebody to, to work on my, my farm, to work in my field to help me with my harvest. Okay, well, I might promise that person hey, at the end of the day, if you work for me one day, at the end of the day, I'll give, you, I'll give you X amount of money. Okay, well, the end of the day comes, you've already done the work, and I'm not paying. Well, what do you do? I mean, you can't go tell the Romans, they don't, they don't care. I mean, what do you do? You're kind of you're out of luck. So because people didn't trust each other in these kind of daily interactions, they developed these practices, for example, they would say, well, how do I know you're gonna pay me? Well, I swear by the name of the Lord that at the end of this day, I'm gonna pay you blank, right? And that's the way they would bolster, they would bolster trust with each other. Well, but what happened is people got really clever. And so oaths became not just something that existed because of a lack of trust. Oaths were also something that were used to try to cover over the truth. That they became something that fueled even more distrust. So for example, what people would say is they knew, okay, if I swear by the name of the Lord, well, I have to keep it, all right? If I swear in God's name, I'm gonna give you this money and I don't do it, you know, like I'm gonna be in trouble. 
well, what if I swear by something else? And so people would take oaths by all different types of things, including things that we see here, that they would swear by, by heaven. I'm not swearing by God, I'm swearing by heaven. Did he pay you? No, he didn't pay me. Well, did you get him to swear? Yeah, but he swore by heaven and not by God, right? It was that type of thing. It was the fine print. It was the loopholes that people used to rip each other off. So people would swear by things like heaven, or they would, they would swear like by the earth. They would swear by Jerusalem. They would swear by their head. And so what happened is there developed all of these different rules that the Pharisees had about, well, if you swear by this, in this situation, you have to do it. But if you swear by this in that same situation, well, then you're kind of off the hook, right? And so there's this elaborate system. This sounds a little bit familiar. Like when lawyers come into the picture, you're reading legal contracts, you're trying to figure out where this person's trying to rip you off, right? That was kind of the culture that people were living in back then. And oaths were something that was used to say, okay, well, I, I'm swearing, you can trust me. Ooh, but actually I didn't swear by the name of the Lord. I swore by this and not this, so I don't have to do it. And, you know, I'm, I'm off the hook. Well, what does Jesus say it looks like to be salt and light in this type of environment, which they live in? I think that it's really the environment that we live in, too. But look at what he says in verse 37. Jesus says what we need is not more rules about oaths. Would anybody say that in order to increase the trust levels to get that number up from 30% to wherever we want it to be, that, that what we really need is more lawyers? Would anybody say that? I don't think you would, would you? Or more contracts? Does anybody, when you read your, like the, the 30 page, or when you don't read and you feel guilty about not reading like the 30 page iPhone user agreement, you're like, I feel so, I just feel so protected that they have all these things that they're looking out for me about. That's great, isn't it? Right? What Jesus is saying is what we need is not more fine print to read about oath keeping. What we need is just to be honest with each other. We need to just shoot straight with each other. What we need today is not more legalese. What we need is people who are gonna say what they mean and mean what they say. And that's what Jesus is saying when he says, let what you say simply be yes or no, okay? So Jesus is saying that in this world where people aren't trusting each other, you need to be trustworthy. Don't try to spin, don't try to do smoke screens. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Present the honest truth in, in good faith, right? But Jesus says something else that's really interesting and I think is really important at the end of this passage in verse 37. He says, anything more than this comes from evil. Anything, well, that seems a little bit harsh, doesn't it? He's saying that anything more, he's saying, okay, I want you guys to, when you communicate with each other, just say it like it is. If the answer is yes, say yes. As James says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If it's yes, say yes. If it's no, say no. Don't try to manipulate the situation. Don't try to project an image. Don't try to make excuses. Don't try to spin. And he's saying that whatever it is inside of us that doesn't just want to answer with the simple, honest, straightforward assessment of the way things actually are, Whatever that is inside of us, that is evil. That's evil. And there's some, there's some translations, there's some manuscripts that actually say, it doesn't, that, that don't read anything more than this comes from evil, 
anything more than this comes from the evil one. So what Jesus is saying is, when you communicate with each other, just yes and no. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Straightforward, honest, simple. And anything other than that is satanic. Is satanic is what he's saying. Go ahead and go to the next slide. You know, that might sound a little bit strange, but, but let's think about this. What does it mean that this desire to spin and twist the facts is evil or that it's even, or that it's even satanic? Look at this diagram that I, that I made here. Um, so in, in John chapter 8, Jesus says, he's talking about Satan, and we really don't actually know that much about Satan. We don't know too much about where he came from. We don't know too much about what he looks like. But the main thing we know about Satan is that he's a liar. In John 8, Jesus says that Satan is the father of lies, that when he lies, he's speaking his native language. So just like, just like for, for you, if you don't speak Chinese, for you to try to speak Chinese, that's what it's like for Satan to try to tell the truth, right? For Satan, to, for Satan to lie, lies roll off his tongue just as easily as English rolls off of our tongues, right? Satan is a, is a liar, and he's the father of lies. He's the evil one. He's evil personified. And when Satan, at the very beginning in Genesis 3, when he wants to destroy God's creation, what does he do? He doesn't go to Adam and Eve and, and, and bite their head off. No, he, he tries to trick them. He tries to deceive them. And he doesn't do it with a, a blatant lie either. He doesn't come up to Adam and say, Adam, God's not your father. I'm your father. God didn't make you. I made you. No, he, he takes God's word. And God told him, don't eat from this one tree in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he twists it a little bit. He says, did God really say not to eat from any of the trees in the garden? So he's twisting the truth a little bit. He's spinning the truth so he can fulfill his own purposes, so he can manipulate Adam and Eve to his own ends. He deceives Adam and Eve, and what happens next? They start to distrust God. And when they distrust God, they sin. And it's really interesting, when God calls out to Adam, says, Adam, Adam, where are you? What does Adam say? He says, I was hiding. Why were you hiding? And it's so, remember what we said before, at the root of dishonesty is what? Is fear. What does he say? He says, I was afraid, and so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. Adam was afraid because he knew he had done something that was wrong. He was afraid of God's wrath, and so he hid. And human beings, we've been hiding in one way or another ever since. What are the areas for you that you feel most tempted to hide the truth a little bit? Maybe not a blatant, outright lie, but, but to, to spin the truth a little bit, to be less than fully honest 
and genuine with the people around you. Remember we said at the root of that dishonesty, at the root of that hiding the truth and spinning the truth is fear. I was afraid and so I hid. I was afraid my marriage wasn't good enough. And so I tried to pretend that it was really good by posting all these pictures on social media. I was afraid that I was afraid that I wasn't going to make enough money. And, and so I stole. So I lied about these numbers and, and I stole. I was afraid that I wasn't going to get a job. So I, I lied on my resume. Right? At the root of dishonesty is fear. What ways are you most tempted to be less than fully truthful? And what, are the, what is the fear that's underneath that? What is the fear that's underneath that? Because again, it's that fear that's causing you to want to hide by covering up the truth. Well, if dishonesty is satanic, if Satan is the father of lies, and he is, honesty is Christ-like. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Honesty is Christ-like. Satan is evil personified. Jesus is truth embodied. Jesus doesn't come on the scene and say, I know the truth. He says, I am the truth. He's the physical embodiment of, of, of truth. When God says, hey, I wanna show you as clearly as I possibly can what I am like, he, send, he sends Jesus. He doesn't make us guess. He doesn't hide the ball. In him, all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. In Jesus Christ, God has been made known to us, has been made, been made known to us, right? So if dishonesty is satanic, honesty is Christ-like, well, think about this. How does Jesus, how does the kingdom of heaven heal us from the fears that cause our dishonesty? Well, Jesus loves me, if Jesus loves me, if I believe Jesus loves me, I don't need to embellish anymore. If I really believe that Jesus has forgiven my sins, then I don't need to try to spin the truth or make excuses to cover up my mistakes. If I really believe that Jesus is gonna provide for me, which he promises to provide for me, then I don't need to cheat. I don't need to steal because he's gonna take care of my needs, right? So Jesus, he loves us, he forgives us, he provides for us. And the more we trust in Jesus, the more we're not afraid, the more bold we become, the more those fears start to disappear, and then we find ourselves not needing to hide anymore, or we can be honest about how things are really going. You know, there's this awesome story in John chapter four where Jesus is talking to this woman and he's going to, he's in Samaria and it's the, the hottest part of the day, it's around 12 o'clock noon and he's, he's at, at the well drawing water and there's a woman that comes up and you know, the woman back then were, were um, I was about to say the women back then were smart. <laughs> the women back then were smart and the women today are smarter um, but the women then were smart. <laughs> I was halfway out when I realized how that was going to sound. I say, the women back then were smart. Nope, that's not what I meant. Um, so the women back then, like the women today, were smart. And so they didn't go 
to the well in the hottest part of the day. They would go in the cool of the morning or in the cool of the evening. So this woman came at 12 o'clock noon, why? Because she was hiding, because she was afraid of what people would think of her, because she was a very promiscuous person and she was afraid of what of those looks, of what people would do or what they would say when they saw her. But then she has an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus, like he does so often, he just kind of puts his finger on that sensitive thing that we don't want him to put his finger on, but that's really the area that we most need healing. He, 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 he presses on that sensitive spot. He asks the woman, he says, he says, go call your husband. Where's your, where's your husband at? Now, the woman has had five different husbands, and she's currently shacking up with a guy that she's not married to. But is that what she says? No. She says, oh, I, 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 don't, I don't have, I'm single, I'm single, I'm sorry. Single and, yeah, and, and, and not looking. <laughs> and then Jesus says, you're, you're right. You're not married. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with right now is not your husband. What you said is very true. So he exposes this thing that she was working so hard to cover up. But what happens next? What happens next? She experiences the love of Jesus. She experiences the forgiveness of Jesus. She experiences the security that comes from knowing that the God of the universe knows everything that she's done, all of that bad stuff that she was afraid those other women were gonna gossip about. He knows all of that stuff and he loves her anyway. He talks to her anyway. He accepts her anyway. And so what does she do? She goes back. This is the same woman who an hour or so before, she was, she was getting all sunburned and going out, you know, sweating um, in the hottest part of the day to get water just because she was so afraid of people knowing her business or people, or people, what they would say about her if they saw her. And after this encounter with Jesus, she is running back to the village and says to everybody there, come meet this man who told me everything that I ever did. Come meet this man who told me every, everything that I ever did. She didn't feel the need to cover up or to hide anymore. She could be honest because she'd encountered Jesus. And Jesus was healing those fears that were in her heart. So as we get ready to close here, what does it look like for us to be trustworthy people? What does it look like for you to be a trustworthy person? Again, we talked about in the kingdom of heaven, the more we experience God's love, the more we experience God's forgiveness, the more we, like Christine was talking about, just, just soak in those truths of God's word. Where I'm not getting up every morning saying, oh, I should, I should be more patient or I should work harder. Instead, I'm getting up every morning thinking, man, look how much God loves me. But this is a God who keeps his promises. Oh, my goodness. He loves me. He saved me. He's, he's, he's given me eternal life. And just soaking on those promises and those, and those truths, the more we do that, the more those fears that cause our dishonesty kind of start to melt away. And the more we do that, the more we can be honest, the more we can be straightforward with the people around us. Let me give you three ways, as this is happening in our hearts, three ways that we can live that out. First of all, 
Don't spend the truth. Don't spend the truth. Don't be like a politician. Don't spend the truth. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, 12. He says, our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. Simplicity and godly sincerity. So what degree would you say that your relationships are characterized by simplicity and godly sincerity. This is something else Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 2 through 3. He says, we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we will commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. By open statements of the truth. That's something you can only do. That's something you can only do if you know that God loves you. That's something you can only do, because let's be honest, all of us have something that we would, that, that we're embarrassed about, right? The only way we can live with, an, with the open life, life, not talking about airing our dirty laundry all the time, but, but being honest, genuine people is because we know that God loves us and forgives us by open statements of the truth. I think that maybe one of the most important things as we think about not spending the truth is learning to use the phrase, I screwed up. I screwed up. This was my fault. And yeah, there's probably more I could say, but I screwed up. I, I thought it was a good idea. It was a bad idea. It, it was bad. I take responsibility. Or, or even to say, I sinned. I lied. Sometimes that's the thing that we can do that's gonna build the most trust. How many, how many of you have heard or thought, man, if one of these politicians would just come out and say, I know we made a bad decision, it was wrong, you know, we screwed up, we're trying to fix it, be patient with us. I've heard so many people say, man, if somebody would just come out and own their mistakes, that person would get my vote, right? Let's be that type of person. Number two, give accurate reports. Give accurate reports. I was listening to a podcast by a retired Navy SEAL uh, named Jocko Willink. Anybody heard of Jocko Willink before? Um, so he was talking about the collapse of, of Afghanistan. And he said something that was really interesting. He said that when he was in, in Iraq, and similar to in Afghanistan, and they're training soldiers, they're training up, their, their main mission, what their, people are telling them to do, train up the local soldiers. We want one day for, for, these, for these soldiers here to be able to protect their own people by themselves without our help. So train up the local soldiers. And so they had all these metrics they were supposed to, uh, they were supposed to meet um, that would prove that the local soldiers are getting better at, um, at, at different uh, weapons training or, or they're better at, at planning or strategy or things like that. 
And he said the, the real problem was some of the guys that were in, in the military that he was training were awesome guys, were awesome soldiers. But a lot of them were, were shepherds that somebody handed him a gun and said, hey, we need some more soldiers. Can you come? By the way, we'll pay you a little bit of money and said, okay. All right, so that's kind of what they were working with, guys that can't read, guys that can't write. And so he said what was such a temptation is, you know, every, you know, he would come in and, and uh, he would get the report from the person before him and they would say, um, okay, we currently have uh, this many uh, Afghan or Iraqi soldiers that have been trained to do this type of mission. Well, next time you're giving a report, you don't want that number to be less, do you? You want to look like you're making progress. And so, you know, maybe they weren't completely trained for the mission, or, or maybe they could have gone on the mission, but the mission would not have ended well for, for them. But hey, yeah, they're, they're trained, they're trained for the mission. And, and he even admitted, and I thought this was very, um, this was very honest of him to admit, he said that there were times he was trying to prove to his commanding officers that, oh, oh look how, look what a good job we're doing training these Iraqi soldiers um, and to, to protect themselves, and look how well they're able to plan this uh, to plan this uh, this mission on their own. And he would hand them a map, hand them a compass, and take a picture of it. These guys have no idea what this map says. He's like, "Hey guys, hold this map right here. Okay, put the compass closer. All right, take a picture, send it to my my superior." And then. Well, surely the troops have been trained up well. I mean, we've trained them for so many years. And then, well, you kind of see how, how that, that went in Af Afghanistan. And, and so his whole point was that it's so tempting for us, especially in our jobs, to kind of cut corners a little bit, whether it's reporting sales numbers, maybe it's plagiarism, maybe it's performance reports, it's so tempting, and probably most of us aren't going to be in a situation like, like he was talking about where, where the, the results are literally life and death, but maybe some of us are. And the results of what we're doing or actually not doing or trying to pretend like we were looking like we were doing could end up affecting a lot of people. Okay, number two, give accurate reports. Number three, keep your word. Keep your word. 2 Corinthians 1.8 says, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. And all the promises of God find their yes in him. When God promises to do something, he keeps his word. How careful are you about promising to do something? You know, as a parent, I find myself in this situation a lot where, you know, my kids are saying, hey, can we go do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? Like, oh, you know, sometime this week we'll go do it. And meanwhile, I have no intention of doing it this week, right? But I, that's just a way to kind of get them off my back. Well, I know this is kind of a silly example, but my kids are learning from me what God is like. And if they get used to their dad saying, hey, yeah, I'll go do that with you. Yeah, we can go there. Yeah, we can go eat that. And then when it comes time, oh, well, you know, I was thinking, we'll do it next week. And putting it off and putting it off or just not, not falling through, that's going to influence their view of God. How careful are you about committing to something and how far are you willing to go to keep your word, even, even when, it, when it hurts? 
Do we make empty promises to each other? I was listening to somebody the other day that was saying um, they were in a situation where there was a business transaction. They'd had a verbal agreement, but hadn't signed the contract. And if you honor the verbal agreement, you're kind of on the hook for some money. But hadn't signed the contract, so, you know, hadn't vowed in the name of the Lord, I guess. And what does it look like to be salt and light? Well, it looks like to honor your word, right? So don't spend the truth. Give accurate reports. Keep your word. Let me say this in closing. Um, many of you know that Lindsay and I, before we, we came here, we were living in China. And one of the things that was really cool about the Chinese Christians, a story that I heard, is um, so the way that they have faced persecution, and I think the way the, and are facing persecution, and the way the character of God has come out of those Chinese brothers and sisters during that time. Let me give you an example. Some of my friends that have been, um, some of my Chinese friends that have been arrested for their faith and they were being interrogated, one of the things that they, that the interrogators very commonly said is they're trying to get more information out of them, trying to figure out, you know, different things about the churches they're working with or stuff like that. What they would say to them is, hey, look, we know that you're Christians and we know that Christians have to tell the truth. We know that you're Christians, which means you have, we know that you're Christians, so that means that you have to be honest before God. So, you know, tell us whatever it is that we want to know. And when I hear that story, I kind of have two reactions. On the one hand, like, man, it's not going to be pretty for those interrogators one day when Jesus comes back, right? But second of all, what a cool testimony that even people that hate them and want to stop them and want to put them in prison and want to figure out where they're meeting so they can stop all the other people that are meeting and believing the same thing they're believing. Even, even those people who hate them know that Christians are people who honor their word. Christians are people who give straight answers. Christians are people who are honest. Wouldn't it be cool if people could say that about us? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we just thank you so much for making yourself known to us through Jesus. Thank you that all of your promises are yes. Thank you that you always do what you say you'll do. Thank you that you are trustworthy, God. God, I know there's so many situations where we feel afraid and we feel tempted to hide. God, I pray that you would give us the courage that we need to be honest, to be people of integrity, people who are trustworthy. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.